0: Bibles to First John. First <clears throat> John chapter one. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're going to be looking at the first four verses in First John, and then in the next two weeks, we're going to start uh, making our way through the first couple of chapters of First John. Uh, we obviously won't finish the book, but uh, after part, Pastor Mike returns, as I have the opportunity to preach over the next, you know, year, perhaps uh, I may uh, continue to work through this book. Um, but that's uh, that's the goal today. Is we're going to be looking at First John chapter one, the first four verses. Um, join me in prayer, Father God. We, uh, as we turn our attention now to your Word, Lord, I, I thank you for your kindness to us. And thank you that you've given us your Word. That you have given us everything that uh, that we need uh, for life and godliness, Lord. That your word is clear and able to be understood, Lord. We pray for that this morning. That it is um, that we understand it, that we um, uh, interpret it correctly, Lord. And that uh, you teach us through your word um, how to live godly lives as believers, Lord. I pray, God, that uh, you help us to focus in this morning, um, to um, and to regard your word as, as holy, and, and that uh, that you will um, speak to us through it, Lord. We, we thank you and praise you, and we pray that you are glorified in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Alright, well, as I said, we're in the book of 1 John, and we're going to be looking at the first four verses of the book of 1 John, so let's go ahead and read it together to get started. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. What we have before us this morning is the prologue of 1 John. Now you might ask yourself, what is a prologue? A prologue is a section of a book that properly orients and prepares the reader for their journey through a book. And uh, prologues are still common today, they don't just happen with books. Prologues are common in poetry, in plays, in music, and and even in uh, movies. I bet you could recognize one of the most well-known prologues today. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. I bet you know those words. They're simple, they're memorable, and yet they set the stage for arguably the most epic, popular uh, film series of all time. Now, for Star Wars, the prologue whisk- whisks you away from August 2021 to an unknown history in an unknown galaxy, um, an alien galaxy far, far away. It prepares you for what you're about to see. Well, in our text today, John seeks to do something similar. He's not preparing us for an intergalactic battle. Uh, but he is bringing us into his world and testifying about his experience as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He sets the stage so that we can properly understand his letter uh, and, and trust his authority. right? He, he shows us where he's coming from and why he's writing and what he hopes it will produce. Now, from John's day to today, um, there is a great need for this epistle. When John wrote the book of 1 John, there was heresy that was making inroads into the church. Gnosticism uh, was, uh, well, first of all, it wasn't exactly known exactly uh, what what the, the problems were, but by John's letter and certain statements by Irenaeus, we know that there was an early kind of Gnosticism that was sweeping throughout the church. Gnosticism was not fully developed at this time, but it was this proto-Gnostic heresy that was deceiving some in the church, and that's why John writes. According to Irenaeus, it was a man named Serinthus uh, who was promoting this false doctrine. Um, Serinthus taught that Jesus was separate from Christ, but that Christ descended upon Jesus at his baptism and departed from Jesus when he died. The view was influenced by docetism that views anything physical as evil and the spiritual world is the only pure things pure world therefore they maintain that god could not have come in the flesh god coming and becoming flesh and dwelling among uh, among us that's absurd everyone knows that that matter is evil right that was the view and inherent in the Gnostic idea is that you needed to obtain a secret knowledge that, you would, uh, that would allow you to tap into the spiritual realm and set your spirit free. That was the teaching. That was the prevalent in this day. So John writes to help the church identify these antichrists that were spreading uh, these Christological heresies in the church. But this is still happening today. People have many different ideas about Jesus that deviate from Scripture, and it infects the church. Still today, the historicity of Jesus coming in the flesh is challenged. He becomes the perfect ideal, rather than the very real God who died on the cross to save us from our sins. In many churches today... Even this idea of docetism is still infecting the churches. In many churches today, there are people who are they're bored with the Scriptures and they seek divine experiences. This brings spiritualism where, where personal revelation and personal experiences are prized over knowing the truth and walking in obedience. Whether it's tarot card reading in the church, it happens. Glory clouds, ecstatic, ecstatic gibberish passed off as heavenly language, or or seeking a special divine words, these all stem from a refusal to believe or be satisfied with God's revelation. They seek more. They seek a higher knowledge to guide them and direct them. In light of this condition, John wants to give the church a clear understanding of the reality of Jesus and the gospel, and he assures his readers that those who believe the gospel and follow Jesus will have true fellowship with God. And so today in 1 John 1-4, through 4, John presents three facts about the word of life that will give you assurance and hope. You'll see that there in your in the notes provided. And the first, the first uh, fact here is that it is real. It is real. Let's look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of of life. Now, John doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't begin his letter with a, a warm greeting or an update about his ministry or his plans to visit. Uh, John is kind of coming in hot here. He's he's gonna come in right with that which was from the beginning is what I'm what I'm talking about here. He's talking about the word of life, as you can see at the end of verse one. But what is this word of life uh, that's been manifested from the beginning? Now, you might think of jumping to John 1.1, 1, 1, right? Same author, jump to John 1.1, 1, 1, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So, the Word is Jesus, right? Well, in this context here, it's actually the word life that refers to Jesus. Jesus is the, the life manifested, as you see there in verse 2. Life manifested. Uh, Now, what we have going on here is something a little different than what we see in the gospel. The word of life is much more than just a historical manifestation of of Christ at a specific time, which is more of what the gospel of John is getting at. Um, Instead, here in this epistle, John has something much more in mind. He's referring to Jesus, yes, but he's also referring to everything Jesus is and everything he accomplished. The full revelation of Jesus. John is talking about more than just the historical life of Jesus, and he's, talking about, uh, and he's talking about more than just the message of Jesus. He's speaking about both in an all-encompassing way. He's speaking about Jesus who is the message. Jesus is the culmination of all revelation. The, the word of life is all Christianity, which is Christ. One commentator writes, the historical Jesus is the Christ of faith. The gospel in which we believe and by which we are saved is the eternal Son of the Father, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Christ is the gospel. The person and the message must be held together. And that's what John preaches. He, he preaches the gospel. He preaches Christ. And we can have confidence in this message, because John was there in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was in the begin- He was there, in the beginning. John was one of the disciples. Jesus called on to leave everything and become a fisher of men. John can testify that the word of life, which is the ministry of Jesus, was consistent from the beginning. He was there. The Word was preached in the beginning and that Word's the same preached, same Word that John proclaims today. Everything that Jesus revealed is consistent. It never changes. It's not evolving or growing out of its primitive conception, which is what some scholars try to teach today. The Word of Life in the beginning is the Word of Life that we have today. It's one and the same. The Word of Life was revealed and it was manifested both physically and spiritually. Look at verse 1 again. Let's just read it again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So 1 John provides an eyewitness testimony that Christ came physically in the flesh. Uh, he was a tangible person. He was, he was not a phantom or a ghost. He watched and, and listened to Jesus. He saw him with his own eyes and he sat under his teaching. He asked him questions and he spent time following him. They ate together. They traveled together. They spent time together. They slept together. He saw Jesus walk on water and heal the lame and the blind. He saw him bleed and he saw him die and then he saw him resurrected. But someone might object and say, well, maybe you heard him and saw him, but, but maybe he only appeared to be real. Like some sort of hologram or, or, or phantom or ghost or something like that. But they can't say this because John adds that which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. And the Greek word here for looked upon is not the same as just seeing Jesus. Um, it has the idea of carefully observing. You can think of it like this, uh, like, a, like a jeweler appraising a diamond, right? They get out their special magnifying glass and they're examining this diamond and they're turning it every which way and every angle and looking for flaws and coloring and, and examining every, the way that the light hits it in every direction. When they're finished, they know exactly what they have. John studied and experienced Jesus in his ministry. He saw Jesus at every angle and in various situations. There was an intimacy John had with Jesus that, that could not have been had with a phantom or a ghost. Even more than that, he, he physically touched Jesus. He, he worked with Jesus. He reclined at the table with Jesus. After Jesus, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples in Luke 24. He says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For the Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said, and he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they uh, still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Similarly, Jesus invited Thomas to touch his wounds. He says to Thomas, "You know, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So if anyone was tempted to to believe the proto-gnostic garbage that Christ did not come in the flesh, John proves proof. He gives proof to the contrary. A a powerful eyewitness, a powerful testimony of the unchanging, audible, visible, examinable, touchable Christ. But as we will see, John is not just talking about a physical manifestation, he's talking about a spiritual manifestation as well. Look there at verse 2. Says the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The life was made manifest. Jesus Christ is eternal life, revealed and manifested. He is the source of eternal life for the believer. John 146 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes the Father, except through me. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he he prays and he says, "And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is the eternal life. He was the eternal life that was mani- that was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's what John is saying." One commentator writes, "John here makes one of the clearest statements of the eternal preexistence of Jesus Christ, raising him above any other religious teacher or prophet." But it is also true that the eternal life that is offered to fallen human beings through Christ, uh, through Christ, when they come to faith and share in his eternal life, the the life was revealed. Unlike the proto-Gnostic. Uh, false teachers that taught taught of a hidden or a secret knowledge that could only be, be attained by a few, the life here was revealed openly. And He taught openly. He was revealed openly for all to see, for all to hear, for all to believe in. John not only saw this, he testifies to this fact. The word for testify there. Uh, is a legal term, just like it is today. Um, You could think of someone giving a testimony in a courtroom, right? you got the judge up in the front, the jury's off to the side, the witness comes up, they put their hand on the Bible. Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. And John gives his testimony. Now the question is, is his testimony reliable? In a court of law, there are certain elements that make a witness credible. Um, number one is, the, is their testimony consistent. Well, John gives gives us the answer to that. He says that which was from the beginning is what he proclaims. The message hasn't changed; it's been consistent from the beginning. N- number two, are there other corroborating witnesses? Well, John doesn't just doesn't use the first person here. He says we, what we have heard, seen, looked at, and touched. There are other people who who you could ask who have, have the same testimony. Number three, do they have first-hand knowledge of the event? And yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying yes, he spent years with Jesus. He was there from the beginning. And all of this proves that John has the authority to refute the false doctrine coming into the church. But why does this matter? It matters because the reality of the Word of Life leads to relationship. The, the first fact about the Word of Life that will give you assurance and hope is that it is real. And that's our first point. But the second fact is that it is relational. It's relational. Let's look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ. So John gives us a purpose statement. There's a there's a reason that all of this matters. Now John is not primarily concerned with what you know, which is which is important, but he wants you to know that he wants you to know the truth so that you may have fellowship. The word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia and you've probably heard this word before. It's common in the church. Um, if you've not been around the church for a long time, this word might bring to mind like Lord of the Rings, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, you know. Uh, but if you've been in the church for a long time, you may you know that we say things like, hey, uh, you know, let's go over to the fellowship hall and and have some cookies or whatever, um, or hey, come on over to my house for some fellowship, you know. We'll watch Lord of the Rings, you know. <laughs> or if you if you've been in, uh, or or. I, I, I think of even when I was a kid, okay, the, <laughs> I, I would, as soon as the service got out, I would make a beeline for the fellowship hall and just grab a handful of cookies before the adults got there and ate them all, right? And in my, in my mind, those are the things that you think of when you think of fellowship, you know, fellowship hall or, or hanging out. Koinonia means, means something much more intimate. And, and I'll give you an analogy of this. For those of you who've married, who are married, you are in a koinonia relationship With your spouse. You long to be with them and you share your life with them. And that's the idea. Sharing life. Now, for those of you who aren't married, maybe you have friends that you confide in and you share life together. It means something much more than just being social or hanging out, it's it's true partnership. It's reliance on one another, it's depending on one another. In other words, John is not saying, I want you to be a part of the club. Or, or I don't want to have to lock you out of the fellowship hall. He's saying he wants us to have a common bond in Christ. A strong bond. And isn't this the goal of Christian ministry? We proclaim the gospel because we are inviting people in to believe in Jesus and join the koinonia. To join the faith and share in the eternal life that we have in Christ. That's the goal of Christian ministry. We're inviting them into the fellowship. They repent and put their faith in Christ. And John affirms this. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that leaves us with a question. Something to ask yourself. Do you have this fellowship today? Think about it. John will expand on this this idea later in his epistles. There's Two evidences that prove your fellowship. Um, First, he he talks about, do you love God's people? John is is very clear. He preaches so that we might have fellowship with him. Um, Don't mistake this. He's not saying fellowship with Christ there. He's saying fellowship with the chosen people of God. Join in the common fellowship with him, with John. Later in this uh, epistle, John writes, uh, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the question is, what what I'm getting at is, do you desire to be a part of the people of God and serve the people of God? It's something really to ask yourself. Are Are you sharing your life with the people of God? Is your life oriented around the people of God? This is why we want to nurture relationships we have with one another here at Pleasant Home. We need to be forming deep bonds around our love for Christ. This is why we are starting home groups in the fall. This is why we, we want to see most of you if not all of you sign up for a home group. We want we want you to see well, we want to see more life on life ministry. You you get to know people and take part in the fellowship when you spend time with one another, minister to one another and share the burdens with one another. This is why we have events and ministries Uh, This is why we do what we do. We hope that you will get to know everyone in the church, not just a a few select friends here and there. We want to be relying on one another. I I heard from several of you um, that you enjoyed serving uh, the kids at BBS, Uh, but I heard also a lot of you saying, I love serving the kids, but you know what was really cool that I didn't expect was I I got to meet these other people I've never served with or never been around. I got to rub shoulders with these people and start developing these relationships. I didn't expect. And that's, and that's that's one of the reasons we do the things that we do, is you, you serve alongside one another. You get to know one another. You, you, you start forming relationships. You, you develop that love for one another. There are many, um, so many in our world who think that they have fellowship because they pop in on a Sunday, shake a few hands, and then just go about their life. That's it. But the the question to ask is, does that sound like a life that's been radically impacted by the word of life? Does that sound like one who cherishes the blessed fellowship of the saints? True fellowship with God is also fellowship with the saints. And if this doesn't describe you, you may not have authentic fellowship with Christ. Now, you you may have your excuses. You might have uh, been burned before. Or I'm just not an outgoing person, or I just don't have the time, or I just don't, uh, you know, my health isn't what it once was, or I'm afraid of COVID, um, which, you know, I'm not saying there's a certain threshold of involvement that you must have in order to be considered in the fellowship, but it's something that we ought to step back and look at ourselves and examine ourselves and say, what are my motives here? What's What's going on in my heart? Do I love the people of God? Do I long to be with them? I invite you to examine yourself. You're not the only one who's been burned. You're not the only introvert. You're not the only one with a demanding job or health issues. And you want to know the remedy? Start spending time with God's people, start serving God's people. The the first evidence is your love for God's people. Do you love the people that God loves? And the second evidence is, do you love Jesus? John proclaims the message because he wants us to have fellowship, but that fellowship is, as you see there, with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you desire to have an authentic relationship with Christ? It's not just about knowing God in, in one sense. It's about desire, or not just about knowing about God. It's about desire to know Him intimately. Jeremiah nine twenty three through 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. True fellowship is evidenced by your desire for intimate fellowship with God. Paul understands this fellowship in Christ, um, that fellowship with Christ is fellowship in Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I like uh, what John MacArthur how John MacArthur puts this. He says, what happens when you are saved? You are immediately placed into a relationship, an eternal partnership with God and with Christ. The partnership is so intimate that you become the temple of God and you are in some ways indistinguishable from Christ. You see, your heart belongs with Christ. He holds your affections. And if this doesn't describe you, then your fellowship may not be authentic. You may not have true fellowship with Christ and you need to put your faith and your trust in Him. However, I do have confidence that this does, this does describe most of you. I've, I've only been at this church for, for six months, and I know that, that many of you or most of you are here because you love God and love His people. I've got to experience some of that love. So it's to you that John gives this second purpose for writing. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The first fact about the word of life that will give you assurance and hope is that it is real. The second fact is that it is relational. And the third is that it results in joy. It results in joy. Fellowship in the gospel brings total satisfaction and joy. The purpose of everything that follows in John's letter is written not to condemn the true church, but to define the true church. It will reveal those who are truly in fellowship. With us, and the result is that it will it will give us joy. We will rejoice in the confidence of our common salvation. But before I elaborate on this, we must acknowledge that the opposite is true as well. If you are not in fellowship with Christ, the Book of First John will not give you joy. In fact, it will discourage you. The true fold of God will be encouraged and have joy, but those hiding in the fold will be convicted and exposed. You will find nothing here but condemnation. And if this is you, if you find that you don't have the characteristics of a changed life by Christ, the only way you will find joy is if you repent and turn to Him. And I urge you to do so while God has given you time. So again, for those who don't have fellowship, you will be convicted and discouraged. But for those with a true, abiding relationship with Christ, John says that we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There is a, a debate about why John says so that our joy may be complete. Some of your Bibles might actually say your joy. Uh, but why doesn't he say your joy here? As he as he does in the Gospel and in Second John. He doesn't want... Uh, uh, does, you know, the question is, doesn't he want our joy too? Yes, he does. And the, the R there is inclusive. He, he just made a statement about joining in the common fellowship. And if we have fellowship with him, then we also rejoice with him. When your friend or your wife or your children uh, rejoice, don't you rejoice as well? True joy is never solitary or at the expense of others. It, it, it always It's always shared, And we want to share it. That's why when we receive good news, uh, you know, what's the first thing that you do? You, you go and you tell others. You want to share the good news. You want to share the joy. So he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Also, John writes inclusively in the, in the whole letter. letter. It kind of goes both ways. For example, look at verse 6. If you drop down there and look at verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. So John is is writing for his joy and for our joy. He he writes for the joy of the church. Um, But we can also learn something from John here. Uh, His purpose for writing is joy. And that's the goal of proclamation. That's the goal of... uh, And that should be our goal as well. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And that just brings up another question. Do you desire to share in the joy of others? Do you minister for the joy of others? Isn't that really the heartbeat of Christian ministry? Uh, it was for Jesus' ministry. John fifteen eleven says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And Paul understood this in, in Romans 14. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The idea is this. We were once broken and lost in our sin and hopeless. That's who we were before Christ. Paul describes it well in Ephesians 2. He says, Mm -hmm. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Our situation was, was bleak and hopeless, but Jesus didn't leave us there. Jesus found you. He found you in your sin. He found you in your filth. He found you loving your sin. And He picked you out of the pit, out of the, the mire and the muck, and He pulled you out and He transformed you. And He brought you from death to life and he breathed life into you and in that moment your eyes were opened and you understood the gospel and you knew Jesus to be your perfect savior you were brought into fellowship with God and peter says this about you though you have seen him you love him though sorry though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul John writes this letter so that you can be confirmed in your faith. So that you can have confidence in what is true and to help you examine your life to to see that that, that there is that sanctifying work that is happening. And when you see it, when you notice, when when you're reading 1 John, yes, there's things that are convicting, but you read it and you say, God, you're working in me finds the true church, and, and when you realize that you are part of that fellowship of believers, when you are part of the church um, that, that Jesus has established, the, the church that John is writing to, when you are part of that common fellowship, this brings you joy. Ecstatic joy. So we've seen that God, is, that God truly has manifested Himself. He's revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. And we have John's testimony proving that it's real. That brings us joy. The word of life is also relational. It brings us into fellowship with one another. And in Christ, that brings us joy. All of this results in joy. So if you're a believer here today, rejoice. You have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with Christ. And the book of 1 John will challenge you, but it will increase your joy. However, however, for some, you might find that your faith is challenged. As, as John presents the evidence of those who have authentic fellowship and those who do not. And it may become clear that you, you don't have fellowship with Christ. And in that case, I, I've seen two responses to this book. First was a man who professed to be a Christian. He, he grew up in the church and as a teen he was heavily you know, involved in the youth group. Um, and as a man, he was serving in the church. But we started going through 1 John together, and in the course of our time, he realized that he was not a believer. But rather than repent, he walked away from the church. It was shocking. He came to the realization and then just left. But the second is, I've seen another response. This is a woman who grew up in the church and claimed to be a believer, but her life definitely didn't match up. We started going through First John in a, in a Bible study. She realized that she wasn't saved. Um, but God does a miracle in her heart. He changed her heart. And it was through this epistle that she first came into authentic fellowship with Christ. She had a, a river of joy that sprung out from her soul. It was obvious just looking at it. And I hope you too will respond as she did. For the rest of you, my hope and prayer for you is that you will be encouraged and that you will have hope and joy through this epistle that your assurance will be boosted as we continue on in 1 John over the next couple weeks and then perhaps over the next year as I have opportunity to preach that's the goal that's the hope, that's the prayer for you let's pray Father God I I thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness Lord, I thank you for this letter of 1 John and the challenge uh, that that it gives us Lord, how it how it, uh, how it challenges us to examine ourselves, to, to really step, take a step back and look at our, look at our hearts and, and uh, to see if we have fellowship with you and fellowship in the church, Lord. I pray, God, that, uh, that each one of us will, uh, will take the time to think through these things, that we'll think through um, uh, the fruit that's in our lives, Lord. And as we continue in 1 John, that we continue to do that and that you will be honored and glorified with our lives, Lord. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we close our.